have the fanciest, smashiest uh, equipment that you can find here. And uh, I'll tell you what, when it comes time for me to press the little button here and make everything go for the midday program, sometimes it just ignores me. Do you get the shaky finger? I you know, know. Is you it know, the shaky <laughs> finger that does you know, it? It's like, oh, don't, <laughs> don't know if I should. <laughs> Or is it just operator error, Dirk? <laughs> it might very well be. <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe we should have Susan on the button there to start things off every day. She seems confident. Susan? Well, I was just going to say, you just got to talk nice to it every day. Is that it? Okay. Yep. Well, I will uh, I will do everything I can to be just as, uh, as uh, fuzzy and cuddly as I can be. <laughs> It's a Monday. With this guy here. Okay, uh, well, we're off and running, uh, nonetheless, on the midday program for Monday and a brand new week and a, uh, a day when we don't have to go looking for Susan Littlefield. She's right here on the phone with us. Exactly, at least for today, right? Well, Lots of craziness. It's going to start to pick up and be very busy over the next couple of weeks for us and for our producers as well. They're finishing up corn harvest, and now they want to get those cows out onto the corn stalks. We're going to dive more into it at 1219 about some thoughts and concerns about corn stalk grazing this year in a study that's been done as well. Then at 1245, Senator Jerry Moran will join me. He, along with Congressman Dr. Roger Marshall, have put in some legislation that they'd like to see passed on helping the livestock industry when natural disaster strikes. We'll have more on that at 1245. That's four bills, by the way, that they introduced. And then at 117, Bryce will be talking with the Nebraska Innovation Campus Executive Director, Dan Duncan, about receiving the Emerging Research Park Award. So that's just some of the things happening on the midday from the Farm Department. All right. We will remind um, everybody and uh, a number of people here on the network, too, that our immigration rural radio forum will be on the air tomorrow uh that'll be at 3 p.m central time and a number of these stations will be taken and it will christen our brand new studios at nebraska innovation campus so thanks to everybody who's been involved with that that should be just a gem of a of a resource for us susan it's going to be you know chock full of information you know when i was at the u.s meat export federation meeting last week they were tying some immigration issues in as well so it affects really all aspects of agriculture, but more importantly, it affects just our general day-in, day-out lives. Absolutely. All right. Thanks very much. We'll stand by for your information. Jason Jorgensen on sports. Cubby, wild weekend in Big Ten football. Of course, a lot of people didn't expect Iowa would beat Ohio State. Beat them. Let alone destroy <laughs> Ohio State. Buckeyes coach Urban Meyer didn't have a whole lot to say after that one, but what he did say, we'll share that with you coming up in sports. Penn State lost, too, which was a surprise. And uh, Northwestern became the first team in college football history to win three overtime games in a row. Also, we'll talk some Husker basketball. Good debut yesterday for Husker freshman Taylor Kissinger from Minden. It's too bad that third overtime victory came over who it did, but uh, whatever. Uh, it's Scott Foster on the business desk today. You're welcome, Northwestern, to that mm-hmm. little bit of stuff. Stock's a little bit higher today. Uh, the uh, Actually, oil prices are at a two-year high right now. Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, though, are all down. So we'll check in on that on business. All right. All this and more coming your way today on Midday. Bring Paul Perkins in here and talk a little ag weather for you. Brought to you by Coolman Repair. It's that kind of time of year when you, uh, just about any time you walk outside, little crisp 
Almost feels like you can feel snowflakes on your face, <laughs> even when there's no bear. Or there. Maybe they're just forming there. Yeah, I'm, maybe <laughs> that's what it is. And we're looking for some partly cloudy skies, but having trouble getting there. Yes, uh, some mostly cloudy skies in a big swath from about north-central Nebraska into southwest Nebraska and western Kansas right now. But we do have some partly cloudy skies in the western part of Nebraska and partly cloudy skies in eastern Nebraska and Kansas. On the western edge of those clouds, Valentine down to Ainsworth and Ogallala into northeast Colorado. And on the eastern edge, Norfolk on over to about Grand Island and Phillipsburg. Into the east of that, some partly cloudy skies there. Right, well, we'll look forward to a little bit of sunshine here. I wish it would stick around a little, but we're having trouble uh, getting out of the 30s over most of the state. Aren't yeah, we? very chilly today. Temperatures right now in many areas in the low and mid-30s where there has been a little more sunshine. It's up to 40 currently in the Aurora and Hebron area, but most of us in the low and mid-30s. Going to be mainly dry today and unseasonably cool with high pressure off to the north. We do have a little bit of light snow departing north-central and northeast Nebraska, and that's moving off towards the east, so nothing that's going to really affect us with any snow. But we will see some snow chances increase tonight from west to east with the passage of a cold front. Looks like our best chance of snow Going to be north of the line from Elwood to Grand Island to Osceola. Lower chances to the south of it. Not expecting much snow if it does snow. Just a few tenths to a half an inch of snow possible if you're along a northwest of the line from about Lexington to Greeley. Some of that snow may linger into tomorrow morning. Otherwise, for later tomorrow, into the weekend, a mainly dry pattern thanks to a ridge of high pressure building north through the Rockies. That'll keep it mainly dry and shut off any storm systems off towards our west coming our way. All the way through the end of the week, a passing disturbance could bring a little precipitation on Saturday, but it looks like the chances for that will be farther to the east. That northwest flow off that high-pressure ridge is going to keep our temperatures on the cooler than normal side for much of this week. A cold front Thursday also dropping the temperatures to the upper 30s to mid-40s before those temperatures start climbing finally back into the 50s. For the weekend, but a lot of us going to experience daytime highs this week no better than the 40s. In our long-term forecast, the likelihood, especially later on, that Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal this weekend through 19th. So the temperature pattern does improve. The likelihood also good that Nebraska and Kansas will experience below normal precipitation this weekend through the 19th. One of the factors driving the market trade include a drier week for harvest in the Midwest and improving rain chances for central Brazil. A strong cold front will push to the south. That'll focus the widespread rain from central Texas in the southern mid-Atlantic. Behind that front, most of the central and eastern U.S. experiencing below normal temperatures. But late in the week, mild weather starts to return across much of the nation's midsection. The very cool and dry conditions smell good news for harvest in the Midwest. The eastern Midwest harvest will be slowed early on this week after rain this weekend. The southern plains will be very cool to cold this week. That's going to slow the wheat development, but no hard freeze expected. Rain in central Brazil, improving the conditions for planting and developing soybeans after it was hot and dry for several weeks. The central Argentina weather keeping their conditions favorable for both planting and development of corn and winter wheat. Drier and warmer conditions in east central Australia will improve their conditions for mature wheat and wheat harvest. And rain recently developed from Spain to Italy, and more is likely in Italy. That will help the winter grains, but the rain did not end the drought in Spain, especially in the east.
the rain did not <laughs> fall on the plane in the Spain very Spain. much. <laughs> I knew that was in there somewhere. I wasn't going to attempt it, though. Congratulations on that. Uh, it's Paul Perkins, of course, with our ag weather, and it's brought to you by Coolman Repair today. Now, uh, I'm looking at southwest Nebraska and uh, that Colorado corner forecast here, which talks about maybe the 50s today, but are they not kidding when they say one to four inches possible tomorrow? Yeah, uh, that's the possibility because it's going to be a little bit chilly. Northeast Colorado tomorrow, only talking highs in the upper 20s. And, of course, a lot of us are going to be stuck in the 30s tomorrow, low to mid-30s at quite a few locations. All right. Well, I guess we'll know when we know. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. And, again, brought to you by Cool. And repair. And let's uh, remind you that when you need weather at any moment of the day or night, it's at krvn.com. The USDA is investing in broadband infrastructure in unserved and underserved rural areas. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news. Susan Littlefield has more on this story for us. The assistant to the Secretary for Rural Development is Ann Hazelet. She said that the USDA is working to expand broadband access in rural areas during a visit to West Virginia, announcing that USDA is awarding eight additional grants in Minnesota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Virginia, and Washington, as well as 10 loans to expand broadband in rural areas. The loans will provide new or improved broadband access to more than 71,000 residents and businesses in 74 counties in rural parts of Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, and Wisconsin. These awards are being financed through the USDA's telecommunications program. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And speaking of the USDA, this past week, President Trump announced the Nebraska directors for the U.S. Department of Agriculture state agencies. Carl Elmshauser will direct rural development, and Nancy Johner will serve as the executive director for the Nebraska Farm Service Agency. Senator Fisher released the following statement after the White House announced the appointments. In their respective roles, Carl and Nancy will be in good positions to promote Nebraska agriculture and effectively communicate the common sense policies our producers and communities need to be prosperous. I look forward to working with both of them to advance the priorities of our great state. Elmshauser, an Ogallala native, graduated from the University of Nebraska at Omaha's Aviation Institute with a degree in general studies. And Nancy Johnner is currently the CEO for Pathfinder Support Services in Omaha. She was previously presidentially appointed as Undersecretary of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food, Nutrition, and Consumers Service Agency. In other ag news, American Angus Association announced today it has entered into an agreement to acquire the assets of verified beef, including its proprietary reputation feeder cattle program. The deal underscores the association's commitment to programs that increase the use of registered Angus bulls in the commercial segment, growing value for the Angus breed and the entire membership. The association will build on the Reputation Feeder Cattle Program. While the current offering is based on a dollar scoring system, its underlying data analysis methodologies and computer modeling can be adapted to alternative scoring systems, such as the indexing system envisioned by American Angus Association. The program, which will be configured and integrated with existing Angus systems, is expected to be available in the summer of 2018. An index scoring system will replace the estimated dollar values currently offered. Herds will receive three genetic indexes, average daily gain, quality grade, and score for replacement heifers. 
And the Kansas Grain Sorghum Producers Association is pleased with the recent appointment of David Shem, grain sorghum and wheat farmer from Sharon Springs, Kansas, to his new role as Farm Service Agency's State Executive Director for Kansas. He is absolutely a positive person. He has overcome adversity, and we look forward to working with him in his new exciting role, said Kent Winter, KGSPA president and farmer from Andale. And finally, a Waco man will serve nearly four years in prison for stealing batteries, causing property damage to local farmers, and pointing a handgun at a Seward County farmer. Charles Chuck Lewis, 56, was sentenced October 31st in York County District Court to a year in jail and ordered to serve post-release supervision for 24 months. He was then sentenced to serve 73 months in prison at a November 2nd sentencing in Seward County on a separate case. That's a quick check of your Midday Ag News. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. With cattle grazing corn stalks just around the corner this winter, many crop farmers have concerns that cattle trampling will adversely affect soil physical properties and subsequent crop productivity. However, that may not be the case. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and we hear today from Mary Drunowski. She's a UNL beef system specialist talking about several studies they have done to look at just that. Well, we have seven locations across the state where we've been looking at the impacts of having cattle on the cropland. And across the state, uh, in eastern Nebraska on some of our heavy soils, in western Nebraska on some of our sandier soils, we're really not seeing that cattle cause what I would call biologically relevant compaction. And what I mean by that is we do see in some years in the spring, if we still have cattle grazing, uh, some surface roughness or uh, some surface crusting, but that dissipates over time such that uh, by June we can't pick up any differences uh, between grazed and ungrazed fields in terms of the penetration resistance of the soil, which if you think about penetration resistance, that's what a lot of guys would uh, think about when they go and they start to plant the corn, they may have to set the corn planter uh, with a little bit more down pressure, for instance, and they think, oh, man, I'm caused compaction by having these cattle out here. And indeed, we do have a little bit greater penetration resistance, but it's not such that it impedes plant growth and it doesn't build up over time. So long-term studies, we have one that ran 16 years, and we did not see any difference in the soil bulk density or penetration resistance after that first initial uh, month uh, post-grazing. One study in particular Junowski talks about is a 16-year study looking at corn residue grazing in eastern Nebraska. In that study, it was uh, an irrigated field in eastern Nebraska. Uh, it was a corn-soybean rotation, and in fact, with the grazing, we saw an improvement in soybean yields. We had a, on average, 3.4 bushel per acre increase with grazing corn residue. And then in terms of our corn yields, uh, we saw no impacts on the subsequent corn yields. So it was actually beneficial to have cattle out there from the standpoint of yields. Uh, in some of our other studies that are shorter term, we have typically seen no impacts on uh, corn or soybean yields by grazing, although numerically they follow the similar trend of it actually being a little bit higher numerically uh, in the grazed field compared to the ungrazed field. 
one of the interesting questions we always get is, well, why? Right? Why would having cattle grazing actually improve yield? And um, I, I was kind of skeptical about, about that myself. And one of the things we did is we went out and took some additional soil samples, and we actually looked at the, the microbes in the soil and saw some improvements in microbial diversity as well as total microbial population with grazing. So I think there's some actual benefits of having cattle out there utilizing some of that residue. Hearing again today from UNL Beef Systems Specialist Mary Drunowski talking about several studies that the university has done looking at compaction with winter grazing and some of the results they saw there, some of them definitely promising as we approach the winter grazing season here in Nebraska. For more on this, you can head on over to RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to listen to sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, freshman Taylor Kissinger made her mark yesterday for the Huskers, scoring 22 points in her Husker debut as Nebraska rolled to an 88-55 win over Minnesota State Mankato in exhibition play. For the day, Kissinger finished 7 of 15 from the floor. She also knocked down four threes in 22 minutes of work. And head coach Amy Williams feels she's ready to go in her collegiate career. I think, you know, Taylor possesses like a very unique talent and kind of special talent because at 6-1 she can set her feet very quickly off of almost any cut and she can shoot from deep. And so that makes that kind of dangerous and hard to guard. Uh, but the thing I was proud of with Taylor tonight is that um, I thought early they really tried to get up in her and she was able to go off the dribble and kind of make an and one and do some things at the basket and kind of prove that uh, she's not just a one-dimensional player. Williams made her comments on her post-game show on the Huskers Sports Network. Nebraska starts the season for real this weekend. It was a wild day in the Big Ten on Saturday with the Iowa Hawkeyes shocking sixth-ranked Ohio State 55-24. to that was after its big win the week before against Penn State. But on Saturday, they were flat, and head coach Urban Meyer says his team just made too many mistakes. Obviously, turnovers. You know, they controlled the line of scrimmage. We couldn't stop them. Good team, tough environment. Didn't play very well. And uh, turnovers, you know, the game was tied. at Even after we gave them a, a seven-point jump start there at the beginning of the game, you know, we got the ball at midfield, and two linemen, offensive linemen, went down with injuries, and then they, they came back eventually. But we weren't right since that uh, moment. For the day, the Buckeyes had four turnovers and nine penalties as they saw their chance for a spot in the college football playoffs go up in smoke. The Big Ten suddenly has a whole lot more riding on Wisconsin. They know skeptics claim the unbeaten Badgers padded their record with a weak schedule. And they understand it's the reason the college football playoff selection committee initially listed Wisconsin at number nine. Well, now conference officials need Wisconsin to run the table to try to pick up the league's traditional playoff spot in the Final Four. And this is kind of a head-scratcher. All-star closer Greg Holland has become a free agent after declining to exercise his $15 million player option with the Colorado Rockies. Of course, he bolstered Colorado's bullpen last year by saving a franchise-tying record 41 games. The 31-year-old was at his best before the All-Star break when he converted 28 of 29 chances and had a 1.62 ERA. He did struggle a bit in the second half, going 13 for 16 in save opportunities with an ERA over 6. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
There is a 40% chance of snow after 1 a.m. tonight, mostly cloudy with a low of around 27. For Tuesday, a 40% chance of snow, mainly before 7 a.m. with a high of 35. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services is reporting that the flu is currently circulating at low levels in the state, but state epidemiologist Dr. Tom Safranik says their surveillance system has picked up one flu virus case that is classified as a variant. It's relatively uncommon for flu viruses in animals to spread to humans, but it is possible. The variant that we've detected clearly originated in an animal and then spread to a human. There's been approximately 60 cases of this around the country over the last year or so. None of these have shown the potential for person-to-person spread. And we'll continue to monitor influenza in the population looking for these animal-to-human variants. Health officials strongly recommend people get the flu shot. Only injectable flu vaccine is recommended this season as the CDC has found some concerns about the effectiveness of the nasal spray flu vaccine. Nebraska received an F for its pre-trial justice system in a new report, but attempts to approve the process already are in the works. The pre-trial phase involves an accused person's first contact with law enforcement to the resolution of charges through a plea, trial, or dismissal. And in its findings, the Pre-Trial Justice Institute called current practices unfair, unsafe, a waste of money, and a major contributor to mass incarceration. Douglas County Commissioner Chris Rogers, who is also the chair of the institute, says many counties have been detaining people who have not been convicted of a crime and are no threat to public safety. A lot of the times in the past, this decision has been made solely on money instead of an objective decision to measure a person's risk. So you can have dangerous people that have money get out and people that don't have money and the risk stay in. Rogers says a bill passed this year by Nebraska lawmakers should help turn things around. LB 259 goes into effect in 2019 and will give people charged with a nonviolent offense options such as paying fines and installments or community service instead of being sent to jail until they can pay bail, fines or fees. An estimated two in three people in U.S. jails have not been convicted of the charges against them. Authorities say a pilot and passenger have been injured after a small plane crash in northeast Kansas. The Kansas Highway Patrol reports that the crash happened around noon Sunday in Pottawatomie County as the pilot was flying the T-Bird fixed-wing aircraft to Linden near Pomona Lake. The patrol says the propeller broke and the aircraft lost power. The plane crashed before reaching the airfield. Your phone is just one click away from closing and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Finding ways to help livestock producers during a natural disaster. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran and Kansas Representative Dr. Roger Marshall introduced legislation on Friday to reform and improve livestock disaster programs that ranchers rely on in times of disaster. I had the opportunity to catch up with Kansas Senator Jerry Moran. Well, Susan, I'm encouraged that uh, cattle producers in New Mexico are talking about legislation that we've introduced and it will be working to see that it becomes a uh, law. Uh, and it is absolutely related to what we've seen in, in Kansas uh, uh, but now across the country, uh, and certainly we, we knew that 
grassland fires, the, the magnitude that we've had, we're affecting Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, but we've seen the devastation now in California, in ag country, as well as uh, Montana, uh, and it's uh, a very damaging thing. And uh, this particularly hit home. We had the, the fire in Barber County uh, along the Oklahoma border uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and then in March of this year, the, the uh, fire in Clark County, Ashland is the county seat, again, along the Oklahoma border. Uh, I've been in Clark County, I think, at least four times since that fire in March. And the legislation that I've introduced is really based upon the conversations that I've had with local people uh, who've suffered the consequences of a fire. Uh, and it's the local veterinarian. It's the local banker. It's certainly the livestock producer. And while much of what we saw after each of these fires is this tremendous local, state, and national effort for recovery, uh, what I learned in those conversations is there's lots of problems, uh, technicalities, bureaucracy, time delays when it comes to the federal programs that are supposed to provide help to those who've uh, suffered this disaster. Now, you've introduced four bills, correct, to help with these payments? We've introduced, Susan, we've introduced four bills in part because we think that some of the provisions may be more easily passed than others. Two of the provisions deal with payment limitations, which is a difficult issue in Washington, D.C., and usually pits those of us from ag country uh, versus those from places they don't consider ag country. And sometimes even among uh, ourselves, we can't agree on what payment limitations should be. Um, and what I would say is that I, I think that we ought to be able to have a conversation about whether payment limits ought to be different in the case of a disaster than they are in the case of just ongoing farm bill payments to a, to a producer. Uh, and it's true particularly of cattlemen. They've, un- unlike farmers, they've not organized their operations in a way that's conducive to getting the maximum amount of uh, dollars from the federal government. Farmers are more accustomed to this. Uh, ranchers in a disaster, it's something different than what they normally encountered with dollars from uh, farm programs or agricultural programs. So two of the bills are about payment limitations. Well, we've seen, and the two programs that we're, we're attempting to, to, to modify, one is the emergency conservation program. That generally involves the, the reimbursement for dollars spent on replacing fencing. And the payment limitation on that is so minimal, it would only allow 26 miles of fencing. Uh, and fencing is about $10,000 a mile. Uh, and the other program is life, the livestock indemnity program. Uh, and that program pays for actual loss of, of cattle. But again, the payment limitation kicks in uh, at $125,000, which is about 70 cow-calf pairs. And uh, we had entire herds of hundreds of cattle destroyed in these fires. And so we need to have a serious discussion about payment limitations. The other two bills are much more specific about how the program is administered. The fencing usually is reimbursed at a rate of about 75%, but it requires that you present a statement, a paid bill, and then seek reimbursement from the USDA. Uh, and the reality is that our cattlemen, our landowners, generally need the cash up front to pay for the fencing. And while we were successful this year in convincing USDA to allow ranchers, landowners to present partial bills and get reimbursed, 
a better solution would be to present the cost of replacing the fence and have the money provided up front. We've also worked on trying to make certain that the, the fencing isn't, uh, that the requirements of what kind of fencing isn't something that is outside the, the norms of common sense. An example we had in the fires this year in Kansas, we convinced USDA to allow landowners to use used oil field pipe, for example, in their fencing. Saves a lot of money, uh, but that wasn't something that was necessarily permissible under the, the rules uh, for new fencing. And then on, on again on the other uh, the other program, the livestock indemnity program, we had cattlemen who sold their cattle that were harmed, damaged by the fires, didn't get full price market price for the cattle because of the damage, and they're not eligible for a livestock indemnity payment. Whereas if you euthanize your cattle, you are. And we're trying to make certain that the gap between what you would sell your cattle for at a lower price and what the fair market value is, is recognized and compensated. My conversation with Kansas Senator Jerry Moran. And Congressman Marshall, by the way, said they did find areas within those plans that they could see some adjustments. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time to get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, we're going to finish mixed in the uh, cattle and the hogs today. Uh, a little bit lower on the front end on the cattle and a little bit lower on the front end of the feeders as well as the hogs. Uh, back end uh, able to hold on. But one thing that uh, really uh, signifies is uh, some bear spreading. Uh, another uh, failure in the cattle today, uh, another outside-down day. We've had an outside-down day followed by an inside-up day, now another outside-down day. This is in the Dees cattle, uh, our lead contract. So uh, a little disappointing. Uh, uh, got some higher prices in cash last week. Cutouts were higher this today, but uh, ran into some resistance uh, early in the morning and uh, we began to slip uh, for the, through the rest of the day, and like I mentioned, we had bear spreading in in all three uh, of the livestock uh, complexes. So, uh, not necessarily uh, real positive uh, in the bigger picture. The uh, feeders uh, not really reacting uh, to the higher corn prices, but that wasn't really holding together that well anyway. Uh, so the feeders uh, dropped off with bear spreading in the front end again. Hogs, cash looked a little bit softer, and that put the pressure on the uh, uh, nearby December contract, the rest of them holding together and closing higher. And uh, with that, the uh, cutouts were also lower at noon. So not much good news uh, bring on the start of this week. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call him, 800 328 0134. Uh, I'm Dewey Nelson. Bryce Deuce get back with you here on the Rural Radio Network. Nebraska Innovation Campus was honored with the Emerging Research Park Award from the Association of University Research Parks on October 11th. The award is presented annually to a research park that has been in operation fewer than 10 years and excels in bringing technology from the laboratory to economically viable business activities, promoting business growth, jobs, and public revenue. And this year's award goes to Nebraska Innovation Campus. NIC's Executive Director, Dan Duncan, joins me now on the Rural Radio Network. 
to discuss this award and more. Dan, just to begin, give us an overview of what this award is and what it means to you all. Yeah, so uh, the Association for University Research Parks has an international meeting yearly, and they give away uh, different awards. Uh, one of those is an Emerging Research Park Award. You have to be under 10 years uh, old as a research park, and you have to have shown uh, a good track record at growing, integrating with the university, attracting students, and uh, helping private companies develop. So talk about how NIC has exceeded in doing those things. So, you know, there's a couple of pathways. You know, one is, uh, you know, we've got some faculty startups. Uh, we have one startup that was spun out from the university that was staff-generated, staff-owned. Uh, and then we've helped other companies uh, that have needed help with their own technology and moving that forward. We've helped them grow uh, here on the campus. So talk about what does it mean to you all to be recognized for this award? What's the meaning behind it? I think, you know, the nicest thing about uh, receiving awards like this is it's from our peers. Uh, and, you know, you can get caught up in the moment and think things aren't progressing well. And then when you, you know, really look around the country and everyone's saying, my God, you know, you've exhibited really fast growth, faster than most research parks. Uh, and we want to recognize you for that. That's, that's really something special. Talk about the future of Nebraska Innovation Campus. We're about 380,000 square feet. We've got another 80,000 coming out of the ground now. Uh, that will be a multi-tenant building. We're, we're working with companies uh, that might want to put labs in, uh, as well as just some dry lab space, and, but mostly office space. That seems to be you know, a, a lot of the demand. Uh, but we're on our march to uh, somewhere between two and two and a half million uh, square feet of land. Uh, and we'd like to have that fully built out by around 2037. Tax money doesn't go towards building on this campus. Talk about some of the myths behind Innovation Campus that you want to kind of uh, address that maybe the general public might, might not think about. Well, you know, I think it's easy for the public to drive in and think the university uh, owns all of these uh, buildings, and they don't. They're all privately owned, uh, the exception being the part of the building, uh, the former 4-H building uh, from the State Fair Days that houses the conference center. So I think that, you know, that is one of the big myths. And I think the other one is that uh, this is all populated by university employees. And, and actually, you know, of the 30... Or roughly 30 entities out here, 19 of them are private entities. Very good. That was Dan Duncan, a Nebraska Innovation Campus Executive Director. Dan, thank you for sharing some more about this award that you all won, and congratulations on the award, of course. Thanks, Bryce, uh, and thanks, KRVN, for actually being on Innovation Campus and being one of those great partners on our facility. Well, thank you, Dan. We uh, love our space here. We've got a great view, and it gives us great access to people like yourself to share the great work that's happening here at Innovation Campus and throughout the university system as a whole. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We closed higher in soybeans and wheat, fractionally lower in corn. And we, we have with us John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So from a windshield point of view, as far as your travels uh, over the weekend, what did you see as far as progress on corn harvest? A lot of, lot of corn still in the field, but, you know, did see quite a few combines too. It was wet, 
but it's not. I never really got the big showers, I think, to keep guys out of the field. I expect we'll see a, another continued drag this evening. Um, you know, everybody out this way really has been dealing with more cool temperatures, and I don't, I don't, I'm not too up on how quickly corn dries out if, as it cools off. You know, if, if we're getting, you know, traces of traces amount of rain and it stays cool, is, is it, are we are we dropping any of the moisture enough to, to really shell it? I have a feeling guys were able to get in the field and get some things done, but uh, still quite a bit of, uh, of corn still standing. Beans, though, looking uh, very few and far between. Right. All right, let's look at the market with soybeans today and how they were affected and maybe a little bit by crude oil. Oh, yeah, that's the story now. And, you know, this is macro stuff. And, you know, the macro side of things can really throw a, a monkey wrench in all of this stuff. The fundamental guys like myself or anybody who does crude oil are kind of preaching the same story that uh, we're talking on the grains. Big supply, demand flatlining, until it doesn't. And then the market tends to jump on something that is, uh, you know, unforeseen, like, you know, this event over in Saudi Arabia over the weekend. And uh, the next thing you know, we've got a volatility run. I think this is possible for corn. Now, I worry a shorter term we're still constrained by the amount of bushels that need to be priced. We're very, very flat on the commercial side. So the, the COT reports that come out weekly will talk about different categories of traders. The speculators, I'm sure a lot of guys maybe mentioned when they talk to you, are very short. I mean, we're record short now. The amount of short, outright shorts in it are high. The amount of longs are coming out. And, uh, you know, the green light is there, in my opinion, as far as reowning. But what scares me a little bit is the commercial side is very flat. And we're not seeing a lot of hedges being put on by them to the short side. They are always short because they're always selling on the hedge side. But, um, you know, we're, we're just not seeing enough buying there or selling from the farmers to make me think that uh, this thing is going to be able to sustain a move because I think we're going to see just so many bushels priced on a rally. Now, in a nutshell, what did you think of wheat? Well, again, I think wheat has a story globally a little bit where crude oil and some of the over, over uh, you know, other markets that are starting to move could factor in, but... I think it's it's you know this is a step forward. I, I anticipate a step or two back here as we get into the uh, delivery period for December. Um, we did see kind of a heavy spec move on the last week's COT report, but I don't think enough here to get me too concerned. Thanks, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.